Um, Luke chapter 17. I'm going to go ahead and open this with a prayer. Let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, my Father in heaven, I, I ask God that you would um, weigh our hearts at this, at this moment. Um, you know our thoughts. You know our hearts. You know our pride. You know our sin. You know our praise. You know our circumstances. You know our histories. And I pray, Father, that this is uh, uh, that collectively as a body that we would present ourselves to you this morning, that we would allow your word to work within us, uh, that you would bring kingdoms to their knees that stand against you in this world. Um, and I pray, Father, that with the, there's a kingdom within every single one of us. There are walls that we've raised. And I just pray, Father, that you would... Um, would somehow pierce us with every thought and every word and every action and everything that we are, that we would submit to you and to your rule. Uh, God, I, I, I pray, God, that you would just instill a spirit of fervor in us um, and victory. Uh, God, like David was talking about class this morning, that, that Paul had in every circumstance. It just didn't matter because you are God, you are king. And I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with that vision. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, to kind of bring us into Luke chapter 17, we've almost been in the book of Luke for 30 weeks. Uh, this has been most of the year, at least since February, we've been really engaging the book of, of Luke, and we're starting to draw towards a close um, in the coming weeks. And um, I just kind of want to look back at this theme of kingdom. In the book of Luke, and I'm just going to read you some verses that are all taken from the book of Luke. This is what we've looked at so far. Beginning in Luke 4.10, and this one's super important, Jesus says this, This is the reason I was sent. And I'm curious what we would say if we say, why was Jesus sent? And he says this, I was, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why I was sent was to preach the kingdom. In Luke 8, he says this, Jesus traveled um, from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In chapter 9, and this one's big, in verse 2, he says, uh, to the 12, he sent them out, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Then he spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God. He said in verse 27 of chapter 9, I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here, and you will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. In verse 59 of that same chapter, he says, now I want you to go proclaim the kingdom of God. In the next chapter, chapter 10, he told the disciples, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of that town will stick to your feet. Uh, wipe it, I wipe off against you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. Next chapter, chapter 11. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Verse 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Everything he has said in the last few chapters has been about who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom. Every parable he has told has been, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Joseph of Arimathea when it describes the kind of character that he had, it said this, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so all of this to say a major threat, if not the major threat of the book of Luke is this kingdom. And what does this kingdom mean? And I'm going to kind of put us in, into their shoes, what they were thinking and what they were hearing, because the disciples opened with this question. 
once having been asked, uh, I mean, asked by the Pharisees, I, I said disciples, the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. I want to walk you through just really quickly, and I think this is going to be important to this study, what the kingdom of God was in their mind in the Old Testament. This is the kingdom. It begins in Genesis. It begins in Exodus when God makes a promise to Abraham about his seed and what would happen to his descendants. And when this nation becomes God's people through Moses in the book of Exodus and they become a kingdom. The entire story of the Old Testament is about how God said, you will be my people. I will put my spirit among you. And the tabernacle represented that. And you, I will walk with you and you will walk with me. And God leads them through a desert for 40 years. Then through Joshua, he brings them into Canaan. And there's one city that stands between them and Canaan. And it's a major scene in scripture when Joshua leads the children of Israel across the Jordan and they stand at Jericho. Now Jericho had these walls and it seemed impenetrable. And these armies stood there and they would not be able to take down these walls. The, the, the Nephilim were there. These giants were there. Um, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites and the Jebusites. Seven nations that stood, that they were bigger and they were stronger. And Israel stood against this and the kingdom was being delivered to them. And God kept making this promise. I'm going to give you homes you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to bring you in and by grace, I'm giving you the kingdom. And everything was physical. When a nation came in and first it was Jericho that fell and they, then they went to Ai. Then they swept through the kingdoms, kings of the south. Then they swept through the kings of the north and God said this to Israel. I'm going to give you this land and you must take it entirely. From as far south as the Negev to as far north as the mountains from the Great Sea all the way to the river. This land will be yours and you must take it entirely. And he keeps giving this command. And it's a physical kingdom. Say with me. Physical. And when, a, and when they would come into a city and they would surrender to them, the entire nature of that town or city would change. Often the name would change. The language would change. The identity of that city would change entirely. They were submitting to a new king, coming under a new kingdom, and that would be what was given to Israel. Then ultimately, David comes along in Solomon, and they, they, they put up a temple in the middle of this kingdom, in the most, in the middle of the most important city in their mind in the world, in Jerusalem. They would raise this temple. And at the heart of the temple was an Ark of the Holy of Holies and then an Ark of the Covenant. And that represented God's presence. And this was the established kingdom of Israel. God had made good on his promise. And this small people had become a nation and God was at the center of it. And it looks like the story of the Old Testament, this is it. Except it ends in a very dark note. Because then what happens is... Well, we have the Assyrian captivity and primarily the Babylonian captivity. On the month, it's, it's the date, Tishbeav. It means the ninth day of the month of Av. In 586 BC, the temple is destroyed and raised to the ground and they feel like failures. Everything is, we've lost everything when that happens. Then all of the Jews are taken captive into Babylon. And in Babylon where 
Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are given new names. And they're given names to honor. Actually, Daniel's, it was the name he was given by this foreign government. To honor a foreign god. And their language has changed and their diet has changed. And they are captive. The temple is gone and it's in the darkest time in Israel's history. And that's when the book of Daniel is written. And the book of Daniel is the book that primarily you're going to be looking at here when you hear the Pharisees asking, when is this kingdom coming? What kingdom? The prophesied kingdom of the prophets, beginning with Daniel. That this kingdom is going to come. Remember, there's a statue. You, O king, are the head of gold. Then there's a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, uh, legs of iron. And that's when my kingdom is going to come. Um, and then they go through a series of animals. And he's going to talk about the statue and all these different things. But the book of Daniel is pointing to my coming kingdom and my coming king. This is going to happen. And he gives the time frame throughout the book of Daniel through a series of four prophecies I know this is busy so far, but stay with me. Through a series of four prophecies, he's going to take us to what would be the Roman Empire and saying the kingdom is going to come and it's going to shatter these world kingdoms. And I know you feel small and I know Babylon feels huge, but let me tell you how big the kingdom of God is. I'm going to walk you through the next next few nations, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome. I'm going to walk you through all of it and I'm going to show you that my kingdom is bigger than all of it. And I am in charge, I am in control, and I am the king. And so during this time in the Roman Empire, when it seems dark, and the tabernacle that they've now raised, this, this, this building that they've put up in place of the temple, we call it Solomon's Temple, we're not even sure what was in the Holy of Holies. Because the Ark of the Covenant's gone, and we, there's nothing in history. We don't even know, was it empty in there? What were they sacrificing to? We have no idea. But we know that the Roman eagle sat above the temple. And it became a dark place in Jewish thought. And a very dark, what, what is happening in our history. And they're crying out. And they're saying, when is this prophesied kingdom going to come? And if you are the Christ, this baby born in a manger, this carpenter, this, 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 person out of Galilee that's not even educated, not even one of the, uh, one of the elites, and if you're going to claim to be a king, where is your kingdom? And where is the prophesied kingdom? What is happening here? And this is kind of where they're coming from because they're looking again for something physical. Something that is going to transform um, everything around them and the, the temple might be rebuilt. I don't know what they're going to be looking for, but that's what they're asking. And Jesus responds by saying this, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Um, over and over through the Gospels, he talks about this particular generation that he's preaching to. And he says, this generation is going to be held accountable for it all. There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Every stone on this building is going to be thrown down. And how about this? It's exactly 40 years later that all of that happens. 
Now, the reason that's important is, let me just show you something that's really, really cool. Jesus was crucified about the time that the lamb would be slaughtered. His blood was on that cross at about the time that that blood's lamb would be put on the doorposts. On, uh, on the, almost the same day, possibly. He was raised on the day of first fruits. He went up into the sky, you know, when he ascended into the clouds. Did you know that that happened at approximately the same day in history that Moses ascended into the clouds? He came down in spirit on the exact same day that Moses came down from the clouds in the spirit and gave the law on Pentecost. And 3,000 people died when the law was given. 3,000 people are baptized into Christ when the Spirit is poured out. How about this? It's exactly 40 years later that Jericho falls. It's exactly 40 years later that Jerusalem is going to fall. You see a crazy thing happening in history right now. That's a totally different study that's crazy amazing. But I want to read to you something from the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. I know this sounds like way out there and you're like, what does it have to do with me? Everything. Hold on. Stay with me. So this is what the Talmud says about Jewish history during this time. Both Talmuds um, says this. Forty years before the destruction of the temple, the western light went out. The crimson thread remained crimson, and the lot for the Lord always came up in the left hand. Now, those are all phrases we're not familiar with, but let me just put it this way, that most of them have to do with the Passover ceremonies, and they're all saying this. The Jews have become cursed, and the Jewish nation has become cursed Beginning with what time? With the death of Jesus. Beginning from the death of Jesus into 70 AD, both Talmuds record that the Jews considered themselves cursed. Now, you're asking me, do you really believe those things happened? My answer to you is it doesn't matter. I don't care if those things happened. What is amazing is that the Jewish nation historically considered themselves cursed from the day Jesus died until 70 AD. In their own writings. And this is what happened, and this is what Jesus promised would happen. This is coming on this generation. This kingdom, this fleshly kingdom, this worldly kingdom is coming to an end. What you have known and everything that you have put your hope in is coming to an end. But my kingdom is coming in a way that is going to shatter the kingdoms of this earth. Um, So hold on. I just want you to stay with me with some of that. So he goes on and he says this. Just as it was in the days of Noah... So also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage, living life, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same for the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his, with, with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and another left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and another left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and another left. And this, this is the verse that I think is super important to say. What is he saying here? Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. 
speaking to this nation that was supposed to represent him. And I know that we've done some weird things with this particular chapter and also chapter 21 when it comes to what he's talking about here. Are we talking about the end of the world and does it matter if somebody's left grinding and somebody's not left grinding? I really do believe that, uh, as in Jim's class not long ago, I believe he's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And he's saying this, listen, this is going to be the way it is and you're going to make a decision right now in the kingdom is the physical kingdom what you're putting your trust in. Josephus writes about the death of the, of, of the people that died and the siege on Jerusalem. It says every one of them, Josephus says, died with his eyes fixed on the temple. Trusting in this God, this physical and all of this other stuff, whereas most of the Christians fled to a place called Pella and were cared for there. Now, there's a lot of history that would just put you to sleep, and I know that. I love history, so I go off on these things. But this is what the message is to me that really hits home, and where this chapter, I hope, hits home with you. Everything Paul wrote about and Peter wrote about from this point forward is going to be the same message, because we are coming into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're coming into a kingdom that nothing can tear down. We're not putting our trust in something physical, but something internal. So what does this mean for us? And this, this, is, this is where I really hope, if you're bored with history, come back to me now. This is what I want you to hear and what got me excited about this. I put myself in the, in the shoes of Joshua and the children of Israel standing before Jericho, this city, and just saying, there is no way I can conquer that city. There is no way these walls can come down. Listen, every single individual in this room and in this world is a kingdom is a city, has walls, and is a fortress. And there is a spiritual battle happening with every single person. When Jesus promised his kingdom coming, that word means reign. It means I will come in you, and your thoughts will be my thoughts. Your ways will be my ways. I will be your God, and I will be your king, and you will submit to me. This is the kingdom that he's after. And so I grew up with the question, I bet you did too, Am I supposed to pray your kingdom come or do I not pray your kingdom come? Is the kingdom the church or is the kingdom something at future? Or is the... Listen, the kingdom simply means the reign of God, which means this. Of course, I pray your reign come because there is still a war in me. Is there not still a war in you? Is there's not still parts of me that need to submit to his authority and say, you are king. You are everything to me. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And that's why he says this. No one's going to say, look, there it is. Here it's come. It's over there. Let's... It's inside of you. And the war is inside of you. Everything about this battle takes place internally. Um, I want to re- share with you just a few um, words from uh, Paul. He said this in 1 Corinthians 15. I declare to you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He writes in Colossians 1.13, He rescued us from the dominion, the same word is used there, kingdom of darkness, and brought us into His kingdom. Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Um, I was thinking about this when I was talking to somebody last night. I was given an opportunity to sit and visit with somebody. Um, who looked at me and said, you know what, the truth is I'm an atheist. And he said, 
He said, uh, you're going to go to your church in the morning. You're going to preach. And he says, and he walked me through some questions and he just asked me. And I just, I sat there and I was listening to him. And I was thinking, he's impenetrable. I'm never going to make headway with him. And I, I started to give up. And I wonder if you have somebody in your life that you sit there and you think, I'm never going to get through to this person. They are hard. They are calloused. They are arrogant. They are proud. And I was so encouraged by thinking about this whole, this whole connection to AI and this whole connection to Jericho, this whole connection to the Old Covenant, and God saying, show me how big a kingdom is. Show me how big their walls are, and I will bring them to the ground. I will shatter them. This room right now is full of people that it seemed impossible could ever come to Christ. It seemed impossible. And God brought walls down. He shattered them. And I keep putting myself in Israel's place and thinking just like Israel did, they're too big for us. They're too strong for us. Their heart is too callous. Forget other people. What about myself? I will never conquer that sin. I will never conquer that sin. And God will look at you and say, I am bigger than you. I am bigger than your sin. I will bring you to your knees. And I will show you what the kingdom of God is. Listen, back then, they were obsessed with looking at the physical instead of the spiritual. And we are doing the exact same thing in the kingdom today. People, and I'm not going to step on David's sermon that's in a few weeks because I think I know where he's going. But, but um, people are consumed with bragging about their church instead of bragging about their God. People are consumed with the physical and with numbers and all of this other stuff. And we've lost sight of the kingdom. And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not physical. My kingdom is not flesh and blood. My kingdom is a war that is being waged just like it was in the land of Israel. So it is in us. Now to Joshua, he said this. As far south as the Negev, as far north as the mountains, as far east as the sea, as far west, west as the sea, as far east as the river. That is going to be my kingdom. And you will take everything in that land. And wipe it out. And I know that's something, a piece of history we look at and go, whoa, that's dark. That's crazy. Look at the message though. Jeff, you will love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. These will be the boundaries of my kingdom within you. And every thought that does not belong to me, 2 Corinthians 10, every thought that does not belong to me, every action that does not belong to me, you will submit to my kingship. And that is what it is to have the kingdom of God in you when you submit entirely. Jesus came to transform us from the inside out. What I want you to know as we go into this closing the series of Luke, it is beautiful for me to see what is happening in lives in this body and in this church. And what I'm going to challenge us to do, um, David said something very powerful in class. Don't ever hear a message. Don't ever hear a class. Don't ever hear a sermon and think, thanks, Jeff. They need to hear that. This is for me. This is for you to internalize. To say, God, I want to be part of your kingdom. In the middle of Jerusalem sat a building, Solomon's Temple. One of the most beautiful buildings in the history of this planet. 
I go into detail about how thick the gold was, how thick the curtain was, the Babylonian curtain in the sanctuary, how beautiful this building was. And in the middle of the Holy of Holies, and historically, that room was probably completely empty. And I wonder how many churches, with all of their fancy programs, our fancy program, I'm part of this, our fancy programs, our beautiful buildings, our songs, our clothing, the way we memorize scripture, everything that's about me. There's a holy of holies that only God knows about in my heart. And is God actually in there? Does God actually indwell this temple? Do I belong to him? And if I do, and I know that you do, this is the truth. No weapon that's formed against you will ever prosper. That Though you're wasting away physically and though everything would attack you, God sustains us and renews us day by day. He is bigger than the kingdoms of this world. He is bigger than your sin. He is bigger than your weakness. And man, 1 Corinthians 15 is going to take us somewhere amazing with all of this. He's going to say this. He's bigger than death itself. And nothing will stand against you. Uh, Jesus came to bring this incredible message of hope. And isn't it amazing that the first time a kingdom that would come that would be a spiritual kingdom... Why was Rome threatened by it? They didn't want to, they didn't do anything to try to take Nero or, or the Caesars off of their throne. All they wanted to do was take care of orphans and take care of widows and show love to communities, and they were persecuted because of that. And a spiritual kingdom has lasted longer on this earth than any physical kingdom has. And God has taken care of the church for millennium. And he's done so much for the body because Jesus promised this. I'm going, to bring a kingdom, I'm going to bring you a kingdom that is within you that nothing can touch. Um, I praise God for that because the greatest witness I have of the kingdom is what he has done in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own life. And I am never bored in my faith, y'all. I'm never bored in my faith. Because there is a war that wages inside of me for righteousness and to be his. And I pray that for us as a body, and I want to close with this prayer for you. I want to pray this, that it's no longer about the social clubs that we're a part of, the different churches that we go to, all of these other things. There's one thing that defines us as the body of Christ. And it's that temple that is within us. It is that body, it is that war, and it is that kingdom. I believe I'm in line with the text. I pray that you'll study it yourself and that you would, you would internalize this yourself. I believe I'm in line with this. And if that is Jesus' message here, man, I pray that gives you the hope it gives me. Um, let's, let's go ahead and, and come before our Father in prayer. Uh, my God, I just, I just want to come before you. And um, again, just as I, I began this talk, I want to close it the same way. Um, I pray, Father, that um, we would be honest before you and that we would recognize you as a very living and very active and very powerful king, uh, that you've brought entire nations to their knees. And so when our sin stands before you, our callousness and our envy or everything else, I pray, God, that you would reveal it to us and that you would shatter those walls and that your temple would be alive inside your body today. Um, I thank you so much, Father, for the wisdom of your word. 
and what you're doing in this body. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.